Well, we arrive at Exodus 23 uh, tonight, and um, I don't always take this advice, but I'm going to uh, take it tonight. The um, uh, teacher that I had in seminary some, uh, well, starting more than 40 years ago, uh, Don Carson, uh, would, on a passage like this, he would say, now you be sure... You read the whole chapter. If you're covering the whole chapter, you read the whole chapter right at the start, um, which is 33 verses long. You know, and our chances of getting through the whole thing are small. Uh, they're small, uh, though they're 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 there. It's it's possible. Uh, but I'm going to. I'll, I'll read. I'll let you remain seated, but. Uh, Exodus 33, or 23, 1 to 33. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many who do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, You shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. What they leave the beasts of the field they may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Let your ox, your donkey, may have rest, the son of your servant woman, and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times a year you shall keep a feast to me, 
You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. And in it you come, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor. For what you sow in the field, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in his mother's milk. For some of you, that's your life verse there. Uh, you shall not boil a young goat in, uh, in his mother's milk. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land, and I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you, and throw into confusion all people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, 
lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Um, I don't know how many of you were in uh, Pastor Terry's uh, Sunday school class today, but he was uh, certainly covering the ground of what would be considered, um, you know, if you thought of the book of Deuteronomy as a, as a record album, that would be one of the greatest hits on, on the album. You know, the what does the Lord require of you? And then the list of those requirements. Um, a summary of that summary is, is found really nicely at the end of Psalm 111. Psalm 111, verse 10, no doubt, no doubt has... Passages like Terry's Deuteronomy passage this morning, firmly in mind. And in fact, when you, when you read the, this, the text like this carefully, all of the elements in what Terry was on this morning, they're all there in, in this shortened form, what uh, Calvin likes to refer to as a schenectady, where you mention the part and it stands for a whole. And so what, what uh, the psalmist is doing in Psalm 111, verse 10, is he mentions two little pieces of the longer text that Terry was dealing with this morning to pull your mind back to that entire text. Um, and here's how, here's how he does it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And good understanding to all those doing them. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, if you haven't thought about these things carefully enough, you you may have a sense, okay, what you need, what's being asked for here, a wise person is one who has sort of an intense sense of reverence for the Lord. There it is. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, this is talking about, you know, the kind of person, you know, that raises their hands when they sing. This is intense. You can, there's there's real, there's intensity here. Uh, Well, it's certainly not opposed to that. Maybe nicely in line with that. But no, in the context, as, as Terry was expounding it this morning, right here, now, sort of central to the fear of the Lord is that everything that God has said is taken seriously and put into practice. That's why in the parallel, see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Notice what the parallel is to that here in verse 10 of Psalm 111. Good understanding to those doing them. Doing what? All those commandments. All those statutes. Those living out the instruction of God. That, that is the beginning of wisdom. 
people who take to, the, to, to heart and to place in the, into practice the details of what God has said are those who are wise. And as you go through a text like this, what's, what's amazing, it's really amazing, uh, right? And I, I, I was talking to myself as certainly as much as you this morning when I, when I said, you know, we often, read, we often read our Bibles, you know, primarily to get done with our daily reading. Uh, that's our problem. So we, I, I want to be a strict reader of the Bible, so I read every day, and I want to be good at it, so I see, I see it till I get done every day. And so then my goal becomes to get it done every day. And so when, when, so then when you come, uh, in your daily reading to, uh, Exodus 23, then you're, oh boy, it's 33 verses long. Um, uh, like if you're on the McShane plan, oh wow. So now I've got a, I'm trying to read through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. And that's a lot of reading. So you sort of speed read your way through 23 and so you might the only thing you might remember about 23 is the you know the 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 sort of the the odd verse about the goat and the mother's milk oh yeah that's there that's in uh but in fact but in fact when we slow down and start to pay attention to what Moses is talking about here the wisdom and the practicality and the fact that we find these issues bumping up against our lives and they're in the news headlines every single day. What he's advocating here. It's there every single day. It's a pressure on our lives every single day. Um... For instance, uh, he opens first verse. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You ever see any false reports get spread widely in our culture? Oh, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We do it on a mass scale. We have made an art of it. An art of it as a culture. So that's who we are culturally. We are a false report culture. We have a whole false report industry built up among us. And we hardly notice it anymore because we're, 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 simply, we're simply used to it. Um, and he's telling us this is a big problem. This is a big problem. Uh, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Um, So just move on to just a little bit. So don't, 
Verse verse 2, here's another big, big principle, big picture principle that has hit us all our lives and that will continue to hit us the rest of our lives. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. (laughs) Think about that. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. I had lots of arguments with my mother when I was a kid about this. My argument was, Mom, you need to let me fall in with the many. <laughs> right? That's Everybody's doing this. Everybody's going. Everybody does this. Everybody has these. Uh, as, this, as if this was a wonderful argument, right? So my, my argument was, I was thinking, you know, the many probably rarely get it wrong. He's got it exactly the other way around. He's warning us. You be very, very careful of the influence of the many. What most people think. Again, we've, we've absolutely made an art about this. And we cite poll numbers precisely designed to turn people aside in their opinion. Well, I was thinking this, but now I know that 65% of Americans think this, so I, I better get over with that 65%. Culturally expedient, spiritually disastrous. Spiritually disastrous. And here it is, Moses talking about these things. You be careful, you be careful about what the many are saying about what the many are doing, and don't get turned aside. All of these are under the uh, uh, heading something like this. The wisdom as to people and justice and, and truth. And here's the people. Be careful of the masses of people. They don't always get it right. Some of you conservatives should have been a little nervous about... Uh, uh, the conservatives here are Rush Limbaugh always talking about the wisdom of the American people. The wisdom of the American people. The wisdom of the American people. Moses isn't with him on that. No. No, the crowd very rarely has it right. Very, very rarely does the crowd have it right. You need to be careful as to the crowd. And the the next one is just absolutely shocking, Uh, right? Uh, Where he says, uh, and Terry just, again, he just went over this on Sunday morning, so some of you, uh, this this will be a a kind of a dull review. Uh, Don't be partial to the poor man. Like, What? No, no, compassionate people are partial to the poor man. That's what we, that's the essence of our thinking. we, We have whole sweeping policies about that. No, no, these oppressed people need a hand up later, and so you are, if you're compassionate at all, if you've got any kind of heart at all, you will give preference to the poor man. 
And he says, no, you won't. You'll treat him absolutely fairly, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, But don't. I just want you to note how old this idea is. All this idea is thousands of years old. Don't, don't, don't give preference to the poor man just because he's poor. It's wrong. It's certainly not going to do him any good. I mentioned this a while ago. I listened to, well, it's been months and months, maybe in a year or two, uh, to that interview that Clarence Thomas did with the um, librarian at the Supreme Court in the Library of uh, in the Library of Congress, and uh, and he was talking about his his grandfather, and came home and was very very critical of. Um, the poverty that he was raised in and the poverty of the people around him and uh, and his grandfather uh, had no sympathy with him at all. In fact, his grandfather's argument was, yeah, even though we don't make much money, it's still really best that we work and work hard. And then he, and then he made a reference to uh, Ephesians 4, 28, so that we have a little to share with those in greater need than us. You don't let yourself off the hook because you're a poor man. You work hard. You do your best. You try to get to the place where you're in a position far from using your poverty as an excuse for theft. You instead... Seek to become the most diligent worker so that you might have a little, he told his grandson Clarence, to share with those with greater need than you. And there's always those in greater need than you. He was absolutely right. And he was basically tapping in to this bit of biblical wisdom. Verse 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it uh, with him. The last little piece of verse 5, that's put... Grammatically, emphatically, you shall surely, you shall surely, what they call an infinitive absolute. There's a bunch of them here spread out through this. You shall surely not leave him under that, under that burden. You know, it's a good reminder, right? I, I, I happen to just read it this morning in my regular Bible reading. Um, uh, Luke 6, 27 and 28. So uh, sometimes we get the impression, and others give us the impression, you know, that Jesus just made up neat things like this, you know. But to you, I say to those hearing, love your enemies. 
Jesus isn't making that up off the cuff. Here's a new idea. Love your enemies. No, no. He's thinking Exodus 23, among other places. Here's how you think about your enemies. Here's how you act toward those who hate you, who are who treat you despicably. You do your best to be kind to them. There it is. That's what you do. That's how, that's how you do it. Now, he does come back around. If you were worried about his attitude uh, toward the poor, verse 6, you shall not pervert the justice due to the poor in his lawsuit. That is, you, see it, you see to it that poor men are not taken advantage of because they can't really afford to defend themselves, which we have a lot of that in our system, right? Uh, cert- certain people, if you, if you go after them, they can't really afford to defend themselves in the courts. And if you have a lot of money and you just bring a suit against them and decide to argue with them for a while, you can do them in. Moses is saying, any real system of justice won't allow that to be the case. You can't allow that to be the case. Somehow you have to figure things out so that that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And then right out of our, just jumping forward, because we don't want to run out of time before we get out of the first nine verses. Um, You shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. I don't know about the other major newspapers, but this last week, the, the Wall Street Journal has had a ton to say about the collapse of a, a, a certain Bitcoin company. Billions of dollars have disappeared. And the question has been, how could it be? How could it possibly be that there wasn't enough oversight of this? to see that it was a sham. How carefully would you have had to look? Why didn't that happen? Could it be? Could it possibly be a million-dollar donation to this politician here and a two-million-dollar donation to this politician here and a promised $60 million donation to this institution here. Could that possibly be why nobody looked into it too carefully? And they just sort of leave it sitting there. But everybody knows that's, of course, that's what happened. Of course, that's what happened. And here it is. Don't let a bribe, don't let a bribe turn your head. Um, The ninth verse, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt.
You ever move much when you were a kid? If you moved, went to new schools, that's the early sojourner experience. Pretty, pretty intimidating. Pretty intimidating. I remember in 1972 when we moved out to Thetis Island, my uh, parents were getting into a, a program there for the training missionaries. They wanted to go on the mission field. Um, ruined my life in that way. Um, and they were steadily at it. Uh, and we lived on an island five miles to the east of Vancouver Island. And so you rode a ferry for 45 minutes and then... Uh, you walked about uh, six, eight blocks to the school. Then after school, you walked back to the ferry dock, and then you caught that ferry and, and went back. So, if, if, you know, if, it's kind of glorious to think about living on an island, but, but think about this. Like, if you, if you forget something at the store and, and, and you go in, there's no way, of course, that you can get right back. You can, can't get to any store and get back on the same ferry that you got off of. And so as soon as you reach town... It's at least an hour and a half before you can leave again. Uh, at least. Uh, maybe an hour and 45 minutes. Um, and, uh, and so my parents, you know, so to, to walk me to school meant wipe out the whole morning. So you go all by yourself. You know, you go up there, walk, you know, like going to the gallows and get there and have some stranger walk down and drop you into this classroom. And, I mean, that's been... Um, this fall, that's been 50 years since I did that. I remember it vividly. He's saying to us, you remember things like that. It's a good thing to remember that. You remember what it's like to feel like the outsider. You remember what it feels like to be in a group where you don't know anybody. You remember that. And then when you run across people in that position, you, you act accordingly. We did Kendra Brower's funeral a few uh, couple of weeks ago, and I was visiting with her mother about meeting her in 2004 in the back of our church. And she was 20 years old and uh, trying to you know, sort of attached to a church at a time when we had just moved into this building. There was a lot of new people around all over the place, and she really didn't get attached to anybody. And her, her mom's eyes filled up with tears, and she said, you know, I think from now on, if I, if I meet a young girl at our church, she's 19 or 20 years old, she's going home for lunch to me if she will. Because I'm going to take her home. Dang, that's what he's after. That's what he's after. You learn to think about outsiders like that. They don't belong. You belong. You've got the upper hand in any number of ways. Our natural tendency, of course to have a little fun with such people. He said, don't do it. 
Wisdom thinks like this. Wisdom thinks like this. Secondly, wisdom as to the Sabbath day thinking. And by implication, work. Just just three verses here and we're... Uh, since Don just has gone over this um, earlier in the Ten Commandments, we'll, we'll deal with this pretty, pretty quickly. But this is the land, and this goes back to the poor. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, and the poor of your peop- that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. For you shall do likewise with your vineyard and all of your olive orchards. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. So the Sabbath system has thinking for the poor built right into it. Uh, they probably did not know um, about the agricultural principle of you know replenishing ground and leaving it uh, fallow every so often. Uh, uh, the Lord certainly would have known that, but it's, it's, that's built into the system too. But the big thing built into the system, um, you know, for plowed crops, I don't know how much stuff came out in the off year, but when you're talking about vineyards and olive orchards, and if you if you expand that to fig trees and all, all the different kinds of produce uh, and fruit that might have been grown at that time, when the poor get access to those for an entire year, yours. And, it's, and they just can come on and take what they want. That's a check. And, we, and we're prone to say, right, and this is where we get unwise. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I use my land to its maximum? And, of course, what's the Bible's answer to that? It's not your land. It's the Lord's land. Oh, you own it in one sense. But you're not staying. You're not staying in the present age. None of us owns anything for long in the present age. Soon it's, it's gone. It's somebody else's. And then it's somebody else's again. And then it's somebody else's again. And it's a good thing to remember that. I'm simply managing the Lord's assets that he has given me to manage. Um, Notice what he says right at the end of this this section. He says... Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I've said to you. 
and make no mention of the names of other gods and let it not be heard on their lips. So, well, what does that have to do with us? Um, Other gods. I've, uh, I've followed the Chicago Cubs since I was 10 years old. I didn't really care too much about baseball until I started play Little League Baseball, which I did uh, maybe nine years old. Um, and so, uh, and then I started to follow the Chicago Cubs, and I'm not a huge fan, but I, I, watch, I still watch, I still watch some baseball. Um, I was a little alarmed when a friend of mine who lives back in the Chicago area said this, this is Baptist Church there. Fall of 2016. November. Everybody wore their Cubs gear to church the Sunday after they won the World Series. Everybody wore their Cubs gear to church. Everybody. It's a really fun day. Maybe a little more fun than the average Sunday, right? Because something big had happened. Cubs. World Series. First time in more than 100 years. That's big. That's really big. That's how easy we do it. That's how easy we do it. All of a sudden, this baseball team, this cultural event, is bigger than God. On God's day, in a gathering that's supposed to be the worship about him, and suddenly this baseball team, and this victory, and the parade downtown in Millennium Park and Grant Park, It's just a bigger deal. Almost than God himself. That's what he's warning us about. Just watch yourself. Watch yourself. Listen. Pay attention. Pay attention. We're just going to skip right over number three. Just mentioned along the way. We we sang our first hymn this morning. Uh, We don't have any prescribed Christian feasts per se uh, Israel has three they're all they're mentioned here uh, they're all mentioned here they all have an agricultural connection and, uh, and, and, and a couple of them have a really important historical uh, connections but they, they have these the, we have these feasts now we actually have a couple of them that almost all Christians do make a great deal about right and we're in one of them we were lighting advent candles that's not in the New Testament but but the birth of Jesus is certainly theologically significant, that it's worth celebrating in a similar way. And that's actually why the church, no doubt, ended up with its own feast like this. And many of them are built into church calendars. And in a tradition like ours, uh, we don't pay that much attention to uh, church, church calendars. Um, but, but he goes and talks about these things as if they're important. In other words, it's important 
to set aside times to worship God and to see the big picture of God and redemption and where our stuff comes from. And so at harvest, we give thanks to God. At the next harvest, we give thanks to God. At the Passover, we remember redemption. And we pay particular attention to the details of what we're told to do on Passover. No leaven around during the whole feast. And by the way, don't let any of the fatty portions make it into the next morning. That's just all right in the Passover stipulations, the big feast of the year for them. And he mentions that. We're, we're, we're running out of time, so we'll just close off with this kind of strange reference. Beginning in verse 20. And I will send an angel before you. I put this pattern, this uh, banner over it. Wisdom as relates to the lives of obedient people. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to what to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him. For he will not pardon your transgression. For my name is in him. What kind of an angel is this? Well, Christian tradition is thought in terms of the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. This is the pillar of cloud by day, the fire by night, the angel going before you, you're following. Uh, Verse 22, and this goes right back to if you were in Pastor Terry's Sunday School class this morning. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Um, That's another one of those little grammatical uh, tick on it. That's a Another example in verse 22 of what they refer to as a, um, an infinitive absolute, that it's a really emphatic way of saying something. So if you shall surely listen carefully to his voice and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies. Now, how worried about your enemies do you have to be if that's the case? If God is an enemy to your enemies, how much trouble are your enemies in? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I love the, the, the story of the American uh, missionary to the uh, native people, John Eliot. Uh, Ola Winslow was not herself a believer, but she wrote about Puritans a great deal and was a gifted, gifted the, um, a historical writer. She won the Pulitzer Prize for her biography on Jonathan Edwards. Uh, but she wrote, a, she wrote a little biography on John Eliot. And, uh, and, and in it, she, carries, she, she opens it with this little incident. She's, 
Uh, I don't know where she got it. I'm sure that she didn't know how to put it right into historical context, which is why she didn't. She, she put it onto the front, but it's the story of John Eliot riding his horse through the woods there in New England. And he sees ahead of him from several tribes, the shaman from several tribes. And he can tell by the way they're looking at him that they're waiting for him. And that they mean to kill him. So he pauses for a moment and then he kicks his horse and he moves forward. And he stops his horse in front of them and says this. I am a servant of the living God. Touch me if you dare. And he kicks his horse and they part and he walks on through. Now, he didn't know that that was what was going to happen. But he was announcing this. I am the servant of the Lord God. You make yourself my enemy. You make yourself the enemy of God. Say, well, that's so arrogant. That's ridiculous. That's Exodus 23. That's Exodus 23. You carefully listen to the Lord, your God, as you move through life. And you, he says, should move through life with this confidence as a member of the people of God. To the extent that we really are the people of God. The enemies of the people of God are the enemies of God himself. That's a startling That's a startling way to think. It's right here. Right in Exodus 23. He is saying, this is, wisdom thinks like this. Wisdom thinks like this. Wisdom is obedient to ends like this. So let us be wise. We'll close in prayer and then we'll have our final song together.